Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. Enchanted by electricity as a boy, William Kamkwamba wanted to study science in Malawi's top boarding schools. But in 2002, his country was stricken with a famine that devastated his family's farm and left his parents destitute. Unable to pay the $80 a year tuition for his education, he was forced to drop out and help his family forage for food. Thousands across the country starved and died. But William refused to let go of his dreams. He embarked on a daring plan to bring his family a set of luxuries that only 2% of Malawians could afford. Electricity and running water. Using scrap metal, tractor parts, and bicycle halves, William forged a crude windmill, which eventually powered four lights. A second machine turned a water pump. Soon news of his electric wind spread beyond the borders of his home, and the boy who was once called crazy became an inspiration around the world. The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, co-written by William Kumquamba and Brian Mueller, is the featured book for this year's USU Common Literature Experience. William Kumquamba will present the Common Literature Convocation. That's tomorrow morning on the USU campus, Chase Fine Arts Center, Kent Concert Hall, 9.30 a.m. on the USU campus. And he joins me for the hour on Access Utah. William Kumquamba, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's really great to be here. So uh, we'll get into your story, of course. Right now, you're you're a student at Dartmouth. Yes, I'm a student right now. Um, uh, so this must be amazing to you. You must, in the American expression, pinch yourself to to make sure it's not all a dream. You're you've you've come so far on on this project. Yeah, it is real amazing uh, for me to come up here and um, and being able to go uh, to go to school to continue with my studies. Um, I'm happy with it. Let's uh, learn a little bit about your background. You uh, are the only son, and uh, you have several sisters. Yeah, I have uh, uh, six sisters, and I'm the only son. I'm the uh, second born in my family, so I've grown up with uh, girls. And they come from Malawi, which is in, uh, I think, eastern Africa? Uh, yeah, Malawi is in um, southern East Africa. Uh, near Tanzania and Mozambique and and Zambia, yeah, okay. uh, near Lake Malawi. Yeah, so Lake Malawi it's like the other side of the um the other side of the of the country. It's just mm. like stretched uh, throughout the the country. And your village, uh, you have a map of your village in the in the book. It looks like a, a small village that you, that you grew up in. Yeah, I grew up in small village. Um, the Nearby, like houses, like the whole, like the because the villages they are kind of like spread out throughout the area. So in my area, like that village, it's almost like sixty, about like sixty families. But the the map that I drawn up in the in the book is about like uh, on like my immediate families that they are there. So yeah. Oh, so this is only part of the the villages. It's part of the yeah, village, yeah. yeah. But the entire thing would be sixty families. Sixty so. families, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, and is this right? At least at that time, only two percent of Malawians had electricity. Yeah, at that time, like uh, in the rural areas, it was only like two percent of Malawians that they had uh, electricity. But if you include like the whole country, including like uh, urban areas, it was about like seven um, percent of uh, the people who had like electricity. Mm-hmm. And some people must have technology. Skipping ahead in your story, once you get your windmill up and going. I, I was looking at a, a talk that you gave that, that people came by to charge their cell phones. Yeah, some people had like a cell phone. Uh, mm-hmm. Cell phone is really like a big deal in in Malawi. Pretty much a lot of people have their have cell phone to communicate with their families and also to do some businesses. They are using like cell phone. So most of them they don't have like the uh, electricity to charge their mobile phones. So they do sometimes they walk long distances to find where there's like. A, a power source that they're going to be able to charge their cell phone. That was, did that seem strange? To, it seems strange to me, kind of funny, that uh, you build this homemade windmill <laughs> and then people are seeking you out to charge their cell phone. Um, for me, it was really like um, amazing because um, most of the time they they were, they were the same people that they when I started this project they were like calling me. They thought that maybe I'm going crazy, and then when uh, the windmill started working. They were really like interested to see if they can charge their cell phones, and for me to charge their cell phones, um, I was happy that they were able to charge their cell phones. Also, like proving that what I was working on, it wasn't just like craziness, but I was doing something that they can be, they can be able to benefit from it. 
So this was proof to them that uh, your project was working. Yes, that was actually... quite a proof for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It must have been satisfying for you. Yeah, I was happy uh, to see when they win me actually like worked. I was really happy because I've been working on the project for quite a long time. And then if the project didn't work out, then then the people were calling me that I was going crazy. They could have really like proved me uh, long that they would have said that, yeah, we are real light. But when it worked, I think I was, I was real happy. Hmm. The first scene in the book, in fact, is uh, the village gathering, and you're ready to test it. So you yeah. climb up the, up the windmill, I got to hook some wires together. What were you feeling? Were you feeling nervous? I was, um, I was, real, uh, I was a bit like nervous that I was just like crossing my finger that I, I think it should work. It should work. Just like saying that over and over. But I, wore, I had like, um, I had a confidence that it's going to work, but I was just like saying like, oh, it should work. Mm-hmm. Something should not go long at this point because there's like so many people watching to see what will happen. So when it finally worked, I was it was kind of relief to me. I was real happy. And the entire villages came, right? Yeah. So it's because like my village is a little bit on the uh, it's a, at the highland, and then the the tower, the windmill tower, is a little bit taller, so people can see it from a far distance. So they were coming to see what was going on. You. What what it was. So when they were coming, they were like started like gathering to see exactly what was going on. Mm. Now, growing up, I guess you were interested in learning. You, you wanted to learn. You wanted, including electricity. Any any learning was important to you. It seems like you wanted to get into the into school, into these top boarding schools, and uh, that was your goal. Yeah, uh, my goal growing up, I was planning like to go uh, to, to learn to study and also. To learn about like science, to to be able to know what um, how different things work. Um, because when I was a kid, I ask people sometimes, how does the car work? They say like, oh, you just put in a gas and then you start the engine and then you drive. That's how it works. I say like, yeah, I know that you need to put in a gas, but how does that gas turn into the engine mm-hmm. to learn that you can be able to drive? Nobody could really like tell me. So I was. Growing up with this curiosity, trying to understand how different things work in terms of science. So for me to get answers towards such type of like question, I thought that it was like through education. And also a lot of people in my community, they are like farmers, but they are not farmers by choice. By fa- They are farmers because they cannot do anything else with their lives. But for me, I wanted to live the life that I can be able to do anything that I want to do in any time rather than being bounded by the situation that I'm in that I didn't go uh, to school. So I think the education for me, it was a key to uh, to anything that I wanted to do with my life. So you were a boy with dreams. Uh, your parents ran a farm, right? They, they owned a farm. Yes. I guess you and your family were, by the stand, Malawian standards, somewhat comfortable. You were, you were okay. You had food? Yeah, we are okay, yeah. Yeah. Then 2001, 2002, uh, a drought, which produces a famine. And this is just devastating for the entire country, right? Thousands died. Yeah. And your, of course, your family farm failed, right? Yeah. Um, my family farm didn't, we didn't harvest enough um, enough corn at that year because we use corn for our main step food. So as Pretty much a lot of people in my community, they only harvested a quarter amount of what they were expecting to, to harvest. So it was real hard to live up on that quarter. So uh, that time, it was the time that my family was also like badly affected by the, the situation. It was the same year that I was supposed to start my high school. But because of the situation, my parents couldn't afford to pay my tuition. So I was forced to drop out of school. $80 a year. Which, I don't know. Is that expensive? Um, Eighty dollars a year. If things are work, working quite okay, it's like it's not that too expensive because our families they can be able to. Most families can be able to get it. You you can pay into in a installment like you can pay um, because it's like three times a year. So that eighty dollars is divided by mm-hmm. divided by three. So um, if that particular year you have like your crop did quite well, and you're going to be able to sell some of your, your crop, be able to afford uh, education like that. Yeah. Mm. So um, 
and of course, with the drought, with the famine, your family wasn't able to pay that. And in fact, you're, you're just scrambling to get food. What was the dream otherwise? You, you wanted to go to school and do what? What did you want to do? So I wanted to go to school and um, study or like to study about like to study science because I was really like curious to learn how different things work. So for me, I thought that there wasn't a way of learning how different things work. It was through education. And uh, I need to get like uh, to, to go to school to be able to understand uh, all the concept of science. That's why I really, lo- I really love to like to to go to school. And uh, ha- having studied science, then uh, if you were able to, what were what were you, become a scientist? What did you want to do? Um, my my ideas was like if I can be able to know what. Um, uh, w- how science thinks, how science works, then I can become like a mechanic. I can be able to be able to work in different fields, like fixing different things, uh, including car, things like that. That's what I was hoping because when I was growing up, we didn't have like, I didn't have like uh, much of uh, um, awareness of uh, what type of like career do, should I go to. We didn't. We are not like, exposed to so many jobs that uh, are there around the world like that people are going to be able to uh, to do. And there's no computers, no internet, at least where, where you are. In it, fact, later on, watching a talk you gave, you uh, you, you didn't, you know, you later on you learned what Google was, but you <laughs> when they introduced you to Google, <laughs> you said, "What is this?" Uh, yeah, during that time, we did, we uh, I didn't have like a computer and. Uh, we didn't have like computers in my in in my village in my community. We just like had about like computer in the radio, but we had no idea what it was and all this like internet. What you can do with it? I had no idea, and um, uh, I was really like surprised when I first like used the internet that you're gonna be able to get like so many uh, information that can that you need to do like pretty much a lot of stuff that you're going to be able to do using the information that you can get from the internet. Now, if you Google William Kamkwamba, many, <laughs> many hits, many, many articles. That must that must seem amazing to you. Yeah, it is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking with William Kamkwamba. He is the boy who harnessed the wind. That's the title of a book co-written with Brian Miller. It's the featured book for this year's USU Common Literature Experience, and William Kamkwamba will present the Common Literature Convocation tomorrow morning in the Kent Concert Hall in the Chase Fine Arts Center on the USU campus, 9.30 a.m. The public is in welcome uh, to join first-year students at USU attending this Common Literature Convocation. Of course, uh, first-year students at USU have been encouraged to read this book, talk about it, and in fact, the entire campus community, and we're very pleased to be talking with William Kamkwamba who embarked on a daring plan to bring his family a set of luxuries only 2% of Malawians could afford, electricity and running water. He used scrap metal, tractor parts, bicycle halves, forged a crude windmill, eventually powered lights, and a second machine turned a water pump. News got out, of course. Uh, He ended up giving TED Talks, and uh, he's now at Dartmouth. Um, And uh, wrote a book, of course. His uh, website uh, you can check out as well, which is williamkumkwamba.com. We are uh, going to take a brief break. When we come back, we'll uh, get into talking about how William Kamkwamba conceived this, I guess you could call it an audacious plan. He, he, he saw a diagram of a windmill in a book, and uh, he, he said what many of us would not say, I think I can build this. So we'll, we'll get into that story once we come back. Brian Goldman was always a perfect student. A classmate of mine in high school once said that Brian Goldman would study for a blood test. Now that he's a doctor, he teaches med students. Many of them have that look in their eyes that they're pristine. They've never made a mistake and they never will. Of course, until it happens. Making mistakes. That's next time on the TED Radio Hour from NPR. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Cash Theatre Company, presenting Wild West Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet, the musical comedy. The Wild West adaptation of the Bard's famous love story runs August 23rd, 24th, 30th, and 31st at Willows Golf Park Theatre in Providence. Information at cashtheatre.com. 
on the next Putumayo World Music Hour. We'll explore Canada, which is a magnet for world music artists from around the globe. You can dance to a hot Latin band, enjoy the delicate beauty of love songs from India, or sway to the rhythms of calypso and reggae. I'm Dan Storper. And I'm Rosalie Howarth. Join us for World Music in Canada, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Fridays at 10 on Utah Public Radio. You're listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. I'm joined for the hour today by William Kamkwamba. In 2002, with his country Malawi uh, stricken by famine, it's devastated his family's farm and uh, has rendered his dreams of getting an education, um, has dashed those dreams. Uh, William Kamkwamba refused to let go of his dreams, and he embarked on a daring plan to bring his family a set of luxuries only 2% of Malawians could afford, electricity and running water. He used scrap metal, tractor parts, bicycle halves, from a diagram, built a working windmill. It's taking him on a whirlwind tour of, uh, of the world. He's uh, co-written a book with Brian Mueller. It's called The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, given TED Talks. And he's uh, now at Utah State University to participate in the USU Common Literature Experience. He'll be uh, giving a convocation tomorrow morning, Saturday morning, at 9.30. Uh, that's at the Kent Concert Hall in the Chase Fine Arts Center. The public is welcome. Talking with William Kamkwamba for the hour today. You're welcome to join this conversation if you'd like at 1 800 826 1495. 1 800 826 1495. Toll free wherever you are. You can reach us by email at upraxis at gmail.com. Upraxis at gmail.com. And uh, you can also join us. Uh, you can tweet us. Uh, uh, just use the hashtag AccessUtah. William Kamkwamba, so we've talked about the drought, famine. You had dreams of going to school, studying science, and perhaps getting into mechanical work, repairing things. Uh, but then the drought happens; thousands die. Um, by the way, did you did you have people that you knew who who uh, died or were affected by the, the yeah, famine? Yeah, uh, there was like some people that I knew that they uh, they died of the uh, the famine. Yeah. yeah, this was just extraordinary, just a, a, a devastating famine. Yeah, it was it was real uh, sad time. It was real hard for pretty much everyone in the in the community. People were just like moving up and down, trying to look for food. Um, it was just like hard time. And your family, you I, I guess you did you get anything from your farm? Did you have to go out looking for food? Uh, my family was also like badly affected by the situation because um, we also like ran out of food, and the the only food that that they were coming in, like the people were selling at the market. There was like corn that was coming from our neighboring country, uh, Tanzania, but because of the of the situation, some vendors took advantage of the situation. They were tripling the price of corn, and uh, a lot of people didn't have enough money to buy it, and it was real hard for pretty much everyone. W- was the government involved, and in were, were they uh, providing relief of some sort, or what? What, what was happening? Just uh, overwhelming. The government weren't uh, involved at that time because they it took like some time for the government to announce that we are like in the state of like emergency that there was like famine going on. So when other uh, international um, organization come in to help, it was already like too late. So I think it was really like hard put much for most of the people. Hmm. Uh, so I guess you're you're scrounging for what food you can. You have thousands of people dying uh, in the country. What point did you decide that uh, I can do something? I, I think you you had a library that was key, right? In your in your village. Yeah. So the, just the year before um, before I graduated from my primary school, uh, they introduced the library. It was just like a small library. It had the book not more than um, five hundred books. Most of the textbooks and also other um, uh, literature books. So, for me, when I had to drop out of school, I thought that um, in order for me to continue to keep up with my studies, I was supposed to do something. Maybe reading books um, uh, would help me to to keep up with my studies. So I decided to go to the library to borrow books. I was reading the books that people, uh, my fellow students, were using at school reading them and trying to copy some notes that my friends were uh, taking at school. I was hoping that when the hunger will be over, my parents will find money and they will send me back to school 
So when they were sending me back to school, I didn't want to be very behind from anyone. So when I went there one day, I found this book which had like pictures of the windmill on the cover. When I opened inside, they say windmill could pop pump water and generate electricity. The word pump water attracted my attention and said like, if I can be able to build this windmill to pump water, then I can be able to study irrigation. I can be able to grow food two to three times a year instead of only one time. So I can be able to double the amount of food that we grow each year, double or triple it. So I thought that that was the solution towards the problem that we are facing. That's how I decided like, to start like building the, the windmill. And so you, uh, I think you saw a book called Using Energy? Yeah, the book was called Using Energy. Uh, it's in English, I believe. At this yeah. point, you don't speak English, uh, at least very well, or you don't read it very well, right? Yeah, so that time I couldn't read English that well. But what I was using, I was using like the diagrams and the pictures to learn the words around, uh, around them and trying to understand what exactly it is saying. And one thing that also like helped me was that when I was pretty much younger, I used to play around with like pinwheels. So when I'm learning with the, like pinwheels, seeing the way pinwheels are like spinning, and I took that idea of like the wind they can cause the pinwheel to spin, and I saw the picture of the windmill. I associate that if I can make this one spin and be able to spin the uh, the generator, it can be able to generate electricity. I think I was able to connect this idea together that you can be able to generate electricity if you have a generator and you are spinning it, you have like magnetic that you are spinning uh, around the coils of wires, you're going to be able to generate electricity. So I connected those ideas together. Then that's when I said like, oh, I think this is possible that you're going to be able to do something like this. That's a key moment, right? You you saw the diagram, you made this connection in your mind. Then you said, I think I can do this. Yes. And so you set about doing it. This is amazing to me. Uh, spare parts. Where did where did you find the parts? What did you do? So all the spare parts that I I used, I found at the junkyard, which was just next to my um, the high school that I just dropped from. The school that I went to, the high school that I dropped from, it used to be a garage for um, for a certain company. It was a uh, tobacco estate company, and when they ran out, um, they ran out of business. They stopped like operating from that area, and they gave the place to the minister of education, and they turned that place into a school. So there were so many uh, scrap metal around the uh, around the area. So I was going there to collect all of my materials and wandering around while my friends are in class and a lot of people. When they are looking at me, they are laughing at me. Some of them, they are thinking that maybe I'm going crazy. Some, they are like, maybe I'm smoking weed. That's what is making me to do that. But regardless of what people are saying, I didn't stop um, doing um, what, I was, uh, what I was doing. And you're 14 years old. Yes. So, yeah, you know, it takes quite a bit to stand up to the people who are calling you crazy. So um, a tractor fan, is that what you used? A half of a bicycle? What? Uh, tell me some of the parts that you used. So I used the uh, tractor fan, uh, shoko buzoba, um, uh, PVC pipes for the blades of the windmill. I tricked a, f- um, a bicycle frame. I used as a frame of uh, of my windmill. Uh, those are the some that are some of the parts that I found at the uh, at uh, at the junkyard that I used. And also using the the tower itself, I made out of the I made out of wood. It was wooden tower. Um, th- those are the stuff that I used for my my bike hmm. uh, for my windmill. Uh, a wooden tower where you got some just scrap wood and I just got like the wood yeah from mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and you, cho- I guess you chose to uh, build the windmill up out of the valley where the wind would blow? Yes. So I decided like to put up my windmill at least at a higher, higher level so that I can go over all the trees that they were, uh, they were in the area and also like the building so that I can be able to catch more wind. And it's not just the windmill. You have to be able to harness this electricity, right? So you have to build a circuit breaker. What, what else? Yeah, so when I started this project, uh, at first, I was planning to build a windmill to, uh, to pump water, not to generate uh, electricity. But because at that time, I couldn't find materials to build a water pump, and I didn't have money to buy to buy them. And at the same time, I had some idea and some knowledge that how you're going to be able to generate electricity through um, 
using a, a bicycle dynamo, using a generator that if you are spinning it, you're going to be able to do it. So for me, it was easy for me to do, uh, to build a windmill to generate electricity at that time. So that's when I started like building the uh, building the windmill. But when I was finally like I was able to build that windmill, I also had to make sure that I'm I'm building like light switch and also circuit breaker to protect my house from the burn, from burning from the um, uh, power from the windmill because everything that I was using it was just like a scrap metal that I was just like uh, finding at the junkyard including the wires that I used for my my windmill it wasn't proper wires they were just like bare wires so I was afraid that if the wires would cross together they can cause spark and then it can start like fire and it can burn my my uh, my house because at that time my house roof was made out of like um out of like it was a fixed roof the, the glass roof so it's like it's easy for them to to, to caught fire so I, I wanted to uh, to protect it so I had to uh, to build uh, stuff to protect it the circuit breaker I was reading about this some nails a magnet where, where did you learn about it in the books in the library? So uh, the, about the circuit breaker, I learned I learned it I learned it from the um uh, from the I learned it from the book. Um, so I it wasn't exactly like the the idea. It wasn't for the for the circuit breaker, but I copied the idea from the electric bell. How electric bell worked. So I used the same concept of the electric bell, but I just like modify and change through stuff to make it a circuit breaker. So what I did, I took two nails and I winded like some coils into two nails and I put a magnet in between. So what was happening was that if there's a short circuit, one of the um one of the coils that I winded into a nail was turned into a magnet. It was pulling the magnet in between and the other magnet was pushing that magnet towards the other end of the magnet and in between there was a switch. So it was switching all the current. So once it switched all the currents, then no any currents flowing around, um, and it was just like breaking all the circuit. So mm-hmm. that's how I was able to do it. So you adapted this idea from the idea of an electric bell? Is yeah. That, that, interesting. Uh, so during this time, how long did it take you to, to build your windmill? Um, from the first time that I started my windmill, it took me about like three months uh, trying like to collect all materials and putting everything together. It took about three months. Mm. And you had... Some people in the villages calling you crazy. Did you have encouragement? Did you have people help you? Um, I had like one of my best friends was able to. He understands what I was doing and he was able to help me. And also my cousin was able to uh, to help me. So those are the two people that uh, during that time, they didn't doubt what I was doing and they encouraged me and they helped me. But the rest of the people in the village were doubting at me and they were laughing at me. What about your family? What what was the attitude of your family? Um, my family, my mom, she wasn't quite sure exactly what I was doing. And he, my dad was also not quite sure. But at some point when um, he allowed me to use his bicycle frame, so I guess he was just like, he didn't want to uh, disappoint me. But at the same time, he wasn't quite sure what exactly I was doing. Uh, what about your sisters? Um, my sisters, they didn't say anything. Hmm. They were just like watching. Yeah. And through all this time, you're, I imagine you still still have the drought, still have the famine, still it's a problem getting food every day. Yeah. Uh, and so, but but you're proceeding with your project. So now we come to uh, come full circle back to the opening scene in your book. You uh, you think everything is ready to go, and. This is high stakes because the entire villages have come to watch, including some of the people who are calling you crazy, right? And uh, you're hoping this is going to work. Yeah. You connect the wires, whatever, and and what happened? So when I put everything together, it was the time that I had to um, to test it. And then when I connected a red bulb and then the windmill started like spinning, um, at first it was just like uh, just like the the lights started like coming on the red bulb, and then when the speed catch up with the uh, with the with the windmill blades, and then it started like spinning fast, and the light bulb started like uh, turning like blind, and a lot of people were just like looking at it, and then uh, people, a uh, lot of kids were there trying to to have a good look of the windmill and see what was happening, and 
people standing from far distance just like to see what I was doing. And uh, for me, it was real a joyful moment. It was real like I was real happy because I've been working on this project for quite a long time, and I didn't. Although I had like um, I believed that this project would work, but at that time it was the time that it was kind of like a proof to people that what I was doing it wasn't just like craziness. I I was doing something that I can be able to to use in my family. So I think I was I was real happy. And what was the proof that it was working? You were lighting a light bulb, or what were you doing? I was writing a light bulb. Mm-hmm. That's that was the proof. The power was coming through the windmill yeah. and being able to light a light bulb, and people are like, okay, uh, this is working. That must have been quite the moment. The light bulb lights up. That was the, like a joyful moment. It's, yeah. I consider that's one of the, my joyful moments in my life. What did people say? Um, at that people time? are just like, People are just like real like surprised. They say like, "Oh yes, you done it." It's like, "Oh, I thought that it was just like something like uh, a playing." He was just like playing. That's what people are saying. They say like, "Wow, can you you can generate electricity from wind, uh, stuff like that?" So people are just like wondering, and uh, uh, some people are like, "Wow, he has done it." And so eventually, uh, this windmill, I guess, powered several light bulbs, radio. What else did it power? So. Um, also, people like uh, from the village will bring in their cell phone to charge their cell phone. So um, sometimes people come to my to my village and they ask me what is this. I'll explain to them that this wind may generate power, and they'll be like, "Oh, what can you do with the power?" I'll be like, "Oh, you can listen to radio, or you can use the light bulb, you can charge your cell phone." They'll be like, "If they have like a cell phone, they'll be like, oh, can we try to charge our cell phone?'" I'll be like, "Oh, of course." go ahead and plug in the cell phone and it will be showing that it is charging. I'll be like, oh, your cell phone is charging. Now you believe me. Can you please take your phone? They'll be like, no, 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 no. We can't believe you. We'll believe you when our cell phone will be fully charged. So most of the time I was just leaving them. I knew that they just want to get their cell phone charged. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That seems strange. It's kind of a mixture of two worlds, right? You have uh, farms failing, you have a drought, but a lot of people have cell phones. No electricity. People have cell phones. A cell phone, yeah. A lot of people have like cell phones. So because the cell phone is the most uh, the uh, the easiest way of like communicating mm. with their like uh, relative who lives like in town or live elsewhere. Because um, people are not like to write a to write a letter. It will take some time to get to the play, place where you want to you want it to get. So people they are just starting now using the cell phone and. Uh, the cell phone technology has jumped over the um, landline um, technology. Not a lot of people have like landline. It's only like in the uh, in the cities. So having like a cell phone that you're going to be able to use in the village, it is really like uh, useful. Did people at that time have smartphones? Were they able to connect with the internet on their phone, or were these these just basic phones? No, these were just like basic phones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And I, but I imagine, you know, that's probably how the Internet is going to get to people in most areas of the world. It's on their smartphones. Yeah. It's like, right now, a lot of people are getting like uh, getting like this, like smartphones yeah. uh, that they are able like to use to uh, to connect to the Internet. I've seen like a lot of people these days, they are like on Facebook being able to, uh, uh, to, to, to communicate with their friends. Yeah. So you have the tower. It's proved that it can work. You've proved to the people who called you crazy that it can work. Then I think you built another windmill that, that then was able to uh, uh, accomplish your original dream, which was irrigation. Yeah. So um, once I finished with the first project, um, because that time my original idea was to build a windmill that could pump water for irrigation. So um, I was invited to attend the TED conference in 2007. So when I went to the conference, a lot of people came up to me, how can we help you? I said, like, I want to continue with my education, and I also want to uh, build a windmill that can be uh, could pump water uh, for irrigation. So a lot of people helped me to get like materials that I needed to build my water pump. So when I went back home, I was able to build a windmill which was like pumping water for my mom's vegetable garden, and some of the vegetables she was selling, some of it were eating at home. Hmm. So this could have, with your first windmill, this could have been just a interesting project in your village but word got out right you i think yeah. first malawian journalists and then out in, into the world 
Yeah. How did that happen? So that's happened like um, when I was when I was when I succeeded on my first like windmill, I didn't stop going to the library. One day when I went to the library, the librarian asked me, "Why do you always checking the same book?" So I explained to her that the book has helped me to build a windmill, which is generating power uh, in my village. So she was really like interested to come and see the windmill. When she came, she saw the windmill, and she was able to. Um, she she, uh, she she went back, and a few weeks later, the people donated the book in the library. Were visiting all the libraries in the area, and then uh, she she told them that using the book from that library, I was able to build the windmill, and they was also they were also happy to come to my village to see it. When they came, they went back, and they came again. This time, the second time when they came, they came with some journalists. Uh, one of the journalists wrote an article about my windmill, and that article was picked up by one of my friend who was living in, like in the city, and he showed that article to his boss, and his boss um, blog uh, put that article in his blog, and that blog was picked up by someone here in the U.S. who was organizing the TED conference, and he was interested to attend to invite me to attend the TED conference, which was held in Arusha, Tanzania. Do you go back and watch that? I, I watched that uh, this morning. You you seem <laughs> nervous, obviously. Uh, you're you're learning English, but uh, don't uh, quite have a total grasp of it yet. Um, and you're here at this, you know, I guess what you learned then or learned later is very famous conference. Yeah, and they're telling your story. Yeah, it's um, at that time. Um, <laughs> I was really like uh, I, I uh, most of the time I don't like um, going watch watch myself uh, back and uh, um, um, it's not like often that I'll go back and watch what I, what I was saying at that conference. I I didn't know what uh, what I was saying because uh, I didn't know how like really like to 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 speak English. So I was just like um, answering like basically like answering questions and mm-hmm. it's really like interesting for me. Uh, to look back from that time up to where I am right now, it's like um, it's 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 amazing. Yeah, you're, I think at that point you're 19 years old or, or yeah. something. Then just two or three years later, you do another TED talk this time in England, where it's yeah. not not an interview; it's just you, and and you're much more confident, and your your grasp of English is is better, and and you're presenting your story. Got a standing ovation there. That must have been quite the experience. Yeah, that was that was really like uh, interesting like uh, experience when I went back to uh, to, to to give a second TED talk. Um, uh, that I was I was hap- I was happy that I did like the second TED talk where I could where I was able to um, to explain uh, to to tell my story with more more details than what I did my first uh, my first TED talk because I couldn't communicate that well. Uh, with the uh, with the list uh, of the world. Now your story obviously struck a chord. It, it hit a nerve. You know, whatever metaphor you want to use, it it had an effect. And I wonder if you've thought about what what that is. You know, a boy in Malawi builds a windmill. That is a very interesting story. But it seems like the meaning that people have attached to this is broader than that. I wonder. You know, have you talked to people about why this affects them? Um, I've asked some people because when I was building the windmill first, I was just like hoping to solve some of the problems that were that I was facing at home, and then trying to come up with like solutions. But um, look, when I was doing it, I didn't think that at some time I'll be like, for example, I'll be here like talking uh, talking on the radio here in the US or continuing with my studies in the in the here in the US. But I was just like hoping like to solve some problems. Um, so talking to some people, what they are saying is that um, they they are learning a lot from like my stories, like seeing what I have uh, gone through, and I was able to I was able to uh, to come up with idea that helped it to solve the problem that I was facing. I think um, uh, some people are just like getting like the courage that they are inspired by my story, and they are trying to do so many other different things in, in their own like uh, lives that they can be able to solve their own problems that they are facing or 
solve the problem in their communities. And so I think that's what uh, is catching more attention for a lot of people around the world. We're talking with William Kumquamba. Uh, he is a co-author of, uh, of his story. It's a book, The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, Creating Currents of Electricity and Hope. I uh, wrote it with uh, Brian Mueller. And uh, it's the story of, uh, of a 14-year-old Malawian boy in the midst of a famine. Thousands are dying. His family's farm uh, failed, at least for a time. Uh, they're just uh, scrambling to get food. But uh, William Kumquamba... Uh, embarked on a plan to bring his family a set of luxuries only 2% of Malawians could afford, electricity and running water. He was successful using scrap metal, tractor parts, bicycle halves. He uh, built a working windmill. The news spread, and uh, a book has resulted, a website, which is, uh, by the way, uh, com, and there's a foundation uh, or an NGO that Dwayne Kumquamba has uh, set up. Uh, it's called Moving Windmills, right? Yes. We'll talk a bit about that. And maybe some of the other innovators, um, inventors, uh, people like him that maybe William Kumquamba has met. We'll talk about that when we come back. By the way, uh, the uh, William Kumquamba is giving the uh, Common Literature Convocation. Uh, that is tomorrow morning in the Kent Concert Hall. Uh, at 9.30, and the public is welcome. More following the break. On From the Top, we don't just put young people on the show to hear their incredible musical performances. We celebrate the whole kid. We're all members of the Vermont Astronomical Society, and uh, we've also gotten really into building telescopes. I run cross-country, and I run track. Well, I'll eat anything as long as it's not looking at me as, and as long as it's not moving around. I believe the correct term is math stud. <laughs> Join me, Christopher O'Reilly, to meet America's most outstanding young musicians on From the Top, each week from NPR. Friday afternoons at 2, repeated Sunday nights at 9, on Utah Public Radio. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members. And Square One Printing, 630 West, 200 North, Logan, personalized printing for home, school, or business, including banners, business cards, letterhead, envelopes, brochures, flyers, and calendars. Information at squareoneprinting.com. Utah State University students took top honors at the 2013 Walmart IT Summit and AIS Student Chapter Leadership Conference. Two teams from USU's John M. Huntsman School of Business recently placed first and second in an information systems competition in Bentonville, Arkansas, that pitted 82 teams from top universities around the world against each other. Utah Public Radio congratulates the participating students from USU's John M. Huntsman School of Business for taking top honors in the global IT competition. Thanks for listening to Access U Time. Tom Williams. We're talking with William Kumquamba for the hour. Another few minutes left with him. If you'd like to join our conversation, the number is 1 800 826 1495, or you can join us by email at upraxcess at gmail.com. William Kumquamba, at 14 years old, uh, he had a dream of uh, going to a top boarding school in Malawi, his, uh, his home country, but uh, that dream was. Uh, was put on hold, at least, with a devastating famine in the country. His family's farm had to be put on hold as well. Um, and, in fact, uh, the, most people in the country were just uh, looking around for food, including William's family. He set out in those circumstances to uh, build a windmill, looked at a diagram in a book, and was successful. I built that out of scrap metal tractor parts and bicycle halves. It was able to provide some electricity. Later on, he uh, built a windmill to uh, provide some irrigation and the news of this accomplishment spread, and uh, William Kumquamba has lived a, lived a dream ever since. I believe, uh, William Kumquamba, you, you went to a, uh, what they call it, a leadership academy in South Africa? Yeah, it's African Leadership Academy in South Africa. And uh, now at Dartmouth. Yes. So uh, that's, it's quite the journey. I want to talk briefly about, uh, I, I believe this would have been your first visit to the United States. There's a video about this. You can find this on, on William Kumquamba's website. Uh, you're... You know, understandably wide-eyed and uh, <laughs> skyscrapers. Yeah. And there's an interesting picture of you uh, at a windmill farm. Oh. So you, you've built a windmill, crude, you know, scrap metal, and then you go to this place where, you know, I don't know, hundreds of windmills. What were your thoughts then? I was really, like, surprised to see how real, like, how big the windmill they are. Like, because when I saw the picture of the windmills on the book, I thought that they are big, but I didn't imagine that they are 
that big and you're seeing the farm there are like hundreds and hundreds of them and uh, raining how much power they were like generating they were generating like uh, five times power five times more power than the uh, main um, power company in, Ma- in Malawi generated so mm. I was like wow this is really, like amazing and just like looking at them uh, I was really like surprised to see how how big they are mm. And I asked you before what what you thought the meaning of your story is. A lot of people have been attracted to your story. Um, and one of those meanings, I've thought, it might be that it, the, the motto of your uh, your NGO, right, uh, Moving Windmills, is African Solutions for African Problems. This is, this is a lot of times it's people coming in from the outside trying to provide solutions, and that's wonderful. But here's a young boy, yourself, providing a solution to a problem. Just uh, out of your own ingenuity. Yes. Sometimes I think what happens is that uh, people come up with like idea um, to to solve a problem in a, any problem in any any area without like real like knowing all the uh, root cause of the problem. I think it's sometimes like problem problematic because you don't know exactly um, uh, how well this type of like uh, uh, ideas or uh, uh, ideas work out in that uh, in that in that area i think the good idea is like trying to before you come up with like complete like solution to talk with the people from that community and being able to work together with them um they should also be a part of like solving that solution i think most of the time you can work it work out quite well because sometimes what i've seen that it has been happening is that people come up with like design with like a certain design certain um machine and they give you them to the people and the people start like using it within like two uh within two years the machine broke no one knows how to fix it and then you are just kind of like you're just like uh you wasted the resources that you that you had for like for building that type of like machine rather than instead of like trying to work with the people from the community trying to understand them uh trying to have their input in um in a solution, like trying to find a solution towards like uh, a problem. What's what's your goal now? When, once you graduate from Dartmouth, what what do you want to do? My goal is to go back to Malawi after graduating from Dartmouth to see how I can be able to use some of the knowledge that I'm getting through my studies and also through interacting with people from different areas to see how I can be able to solve some problem that people are facing in my community or in Malawi in general. So that's that's my idea. Well, it's a fascinating story, and people can hear more about it at the uh, Common Literature Convocation speech uh, that William Kumquamp is going to give. Public is invited to this. It's tomorrow morning, 9.30, at Kent Concert Hall in the Chase Fine Arts Center on the USU campus. And the book is The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind. William Kumquamp, a pleasure. Thanks for coming in. Oh, thank you for having me here. And uh, for producer Bennett Purser, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks for listening today. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crum Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan, now open Monday through Saturday until 2, with a changing menu of a specialty salad, French breakfast pastries, with local seasonal fruits and lunch sandwiches. This is Contemporary Western Women. I'm Elaine Thatcher. Margie Boretsky is a Ph.D. candidate in environmental engineering at Utah State University. She was born in Poland and emigrated to the United States with her parents when she was four years old. She has her pilot's license, served in the Marine Corps, and earned a master's degree in landscape architecture. She then came to Utah State University as a professor of landscape architecture, but she realized she wanted more. Her current work involves using plants to clean stormwater. My dissertation will be on the role of vegetative species on stormwater pollution removal. And so I'm hoping one day to continue to work with either stormwater or at least water quality, if, if it's not directly stormwater, to try to clean the earth. I think water is a lot more important to the world than currently we are, as a society, realize. There's so many um, reports that are coming out that are saying how vital water will be, how water will be the new gold like commodity that everyone's fighting for, fresh water that people need. As a landscape architect, I, we did many designs where we're 
designing detention basins, and we say, oh, well, we know we want to vegetate them. And my undergrad was a fine arts degree, so it was beautiful. My master's degree was a natural resources degree in landscape architecture where we designed mimicking natural systems. Now I'm finally getting into, well, how does it work? Before, it's, I assumed I was given a template as to things work. But now I'm saying how much goes where? Why does it work? Does the species matter? How much does it? And you're able to, I'm able to quantify things more, which I think I wanted to that whole time. I just never knew how. Margie decided to leave her job as a university professor and go back to graduate school. It was a difficult decision to leave a steady income, and she also has a husband, also from Poland, and two young daughters. But once she made the decision, she surprised herself. I got straight A's, which I was so surprised about. <laughs> which I got straight A's because I had to take classes like uh, differential equations and linear algebra, and I hadn't had a math class in 17 years. And I needed to take classes like physics and chemistry 101. And I was just surprised that even with a really hectic schedule and kids and, you know, lots of late nights, but I was able to get A's. And then when I got into the grad classes, I thought, oh, for sure, I, that won't be able to continue. And yet again, I was able to get A's. And when I'm having bad days, I keep thinking to myself, it's okay. I'm smart. <laughs> I'll get through this. It might, might not happen right now, but, you know, give me a week. It'll, it'll, I'll get past it. I'm trying to come to, to an understanding myself as to what it is that I want for my Polish heritage or what it is that my Polish heritage means to me. I think the more I learn about Polish history and Polish culture and the struggles of Poland, the more proud I am to be Polish. Knowing my the little bit of family history that I know because the genealogy doesn't go back in my family very far. I do know that both sides of my family were incredibly poor. Realizing that I'm lucky in the sense of being able to have an education, I'm lucky to be able to use that education. I have a roof over my head. We're able to have a family and have enough food on the table every day without worrying too much about it. Even while I'm a student, it drives me. It makes me want to do more. So many of my um, relatives in Poland don't even have the opportunity. Contemporary Western Women is a project of Utah State University's Center for Women and Gender and Utah Public Radio. We focus on women in the Rocky Mountain region and their stories of strength, hope, and humor in all aspects of life. If you have a story to share or know someone who does, please visit the Contemporary Western Women link at upr.org or call 1-800-826-1495. I'm Elaine Thatcher. Access Utah is a production of Utah Public Radio. You can listen to this episode or previous episodes of Access Utah anytime at upr.org, where you can find a link to subscribe to our podcast. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 89.5 Logan, KUSK HD1 88.5 Vernal, KUSL HD1 89.3 Richfield, KUST HD1 88.7 Moab, and KUSU FM HD1 91.5 Logan. Thank you.